So Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your good, great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them your you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. If you don't mind, let's pray again before I launch into this. Please join me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to understand it now. We ask that you would show us yourself uh, so that we understand how great you are and our hearts respond in praise to you. Please help us to listen and to respond. Amen. So I wonder how much does it take to get you to compliment someone? Uh, And I'm not talking like flattery. Uh, I'm talking when you notice something that's really amazing about someone and you tell them. Uh, Or better yet, you might actually tell someone else. Uh, So you might say, oh, Josh, he's just a fantastic guy. He's always so thoughtful. Or James, he's, you know, he's really cheerful. It's such a gift. If you're anything like me, it takes something pretty incredible before you recognise that someone deserves praise. And unfortunately, that's the same for me when it comes to God. I'm a little bit slow to recognise God's greatness and that he deserves praise. Even though I know he's done amazing things, when it comes to, to worship, I'm often half-hearted. I find that we're, when we're praying, I get distracted uh, and I'm thinking about dinner. Or we're singing the songs and I realise that I've just read the last three lines like a teleprompter. I don't know if that's you, but occasionally for me, I find that the fog lifts. I see God clearly. I understand truly what he is like, and I praise him truthfully. And I'm wondering how we can hold on to that. How is it that we can keep God in focus? How can we see him with crystal clarity? 
And so that's what we're going to dig into tonight. We're going to learn tonight how to praise God, and we're going to learn from David, uh, David who's a master at this. So he wrote a large chunk of the Psalms, um, and he's the king of Israel, and he's going to be writing tonight about his king. He's going to show us a bit of a glimpse of what God is like and call us to praise God, to join him in his praise. And Psalm 145 is where we're going to be looking. Psalm 145 lands at the end of the book of Psalms, and there's this bracket at the end of the book of Psalms where it's, it's like a grand finale. It's the climax to the book, and everything heads towards this grand praise of God, everything, all creation, every star, every atom, every tree, every living creature praising God. It is an incredible crescendo. It's kind of like the end of a fireworks display. If you've ever seen a really big fireworks display, right at the end, they just launch everything. That's what these psalms are. And David is going to personally kick off this all-creation praise with personal praise to God. So come with me into verse 1. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. He says he's going to exalt God. He rec- he's going to recognize God's greatness and tell people of God's greatness. You see, David the king, he is writing a psalm of praise about his king, God. And he's praising God because God is worthy of praise. He deserves it. As you can see in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And he doesn't stick it alone. He's joined by his entire generation. So look in verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. And as they speak to each other, they tell of God's mighty acts. They speak of his glorious splendor. They chew it over. They meditate on it. Which sets us up nicely for what David's about to launch into. Because that's what this psalm is. He's going to show us just what it is that makes God great that makes him worthy of praise. And and those first few verses, they show us that there are two parts to what shows us God's glory, what makes him worthy of praise. There's what he has done, his works, his mighty acts. And these acts, they show us what he is like. They reveal his greatness. Uh, Or as verse 5 puts it, the glorious splendor of his majesty. And think majesty like a great and glorious king, because that's the picture that this psalm is trying to convey to us. God as a great and glorious king. It's there in verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, the king. And at the moment, it's just a bit of a sketch, but David's going to fill this sketch in with colour and with detail as we get into the psalm. Uh, But we're going to do something a little bit different to tackle the psalm, because this psalm is an acrostic poem. So each line of the poem starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And David, he uses these letters as a springboard to try and launch himself into thinking about different angles of God's greatness. And so we're going to do something similar. Uh, To get our heads around the psalm, we're going to do an acrostic poem of our own. Uh, We're going to do A, B, C and D. And I'll leave you to work out the other 22 in your own time. Don't worry, we're not going to do all of them. So this psalm, it tells us that God is an abundantly good, brilliantly glorious, compassionately generous, 
and dependably gracious king. An abundantly good, brilliantly glorious, compassionately generous, and dependably gracious king. Well, let's get stuck in. First, we see that God is an abundantly good king. Pick up with me from verse 7. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. You see, God is a good God. He's righteous. He always does what's right and good. And he's gracious. He's compassionate. He doesn't respond in anger like we deserve, but with love. He cares for people. He's like a father caring for his children. He shows love and kindness and goodness, even when it's not deserved. But how does David know all this? What makes him think that God is like this? Well, he's thinking back into Israel's past and thinking about what God has said he is like and what God has shown he's like. He's thinking back actually to Exodus 34, where God has just given his commandments to Moses and then he shows himself to Moses, he reveals himself. And when he reveals himself, he tells Moses what he is like. And this is what he says. He tells him that he is the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Does that sound familiar from our verses? And from that point onward, Israel knew what God was like. He told them. But he hadn't just told them, he'd showed them. So he had already showed them by rescuing them from Egypt. He'd led them, he'd cared for them, he'd fed them all through the wilderness. He'd showed them that he is a good, compassionate and gracious God, caring for his people. He's an abundantly good king. Secondly, God is a brilliantly glorious king. See in verse 11. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people might know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. David and his entire generation, they praise God as their glorious king who rules forever. He has power and authority and rules with might. And Israel knew this. Again, they can look into their past. They know that God has always acted in power. So they can look at all sorts of things for that. Uh, No one has ever beaten God. So not even Pharaoh in his power, not Goliath in his strength, not the kings with iron chariots or the armies of the nations. No one had stood against God. God always wins. He's, he's like a powerful em- emperor, uh, a ruler who's more powerful than anyone else. He spoke and brought creation into existence. He, he lifted his finger and brought the plagues on Egypt that had Pharaoh scrambling to obey God by the end of them. So God is a brilliantly glorious king and is Israel's ultimate authority because even David their king, he looks to God as king. He recognises that God is the one that 
all Israel ultimately looked to, to save them, to lead them, to protect them. He's a brilliantly glorious king. Thirdly, God is a compassionately generous king. So see in verse 14. Have a look at verse 14 with me. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And isn't that an incredibly amazing picture? The same God, who's abundantly good, who's brilliantly glorious, is compassionately generous. He provides for and cares for, looks after his people. And he's just. He lifts up the oppressed and he puts things right. It's such a vast difference to our own leaders, right? He's not looking out for his own needs. He's not, I don't know, kind of demanding praise or anything like that. He's looking out for his people. He's looking out for the needs of them. He's serving them. He's like a shepherd, I guess, caring for his flock with justice, providing for their needs, leading them to water, fighting off the enemies, providing them with food, bringing back the lost. He's a compassionately generous king, a shepherd to his people. And finally, God is a dependably gracious king. See in verse 18 onwards. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So despite what his people deserve, when they call out, God listens. He hears them. He watches over them. He cares for them. He saves and protects them. And Israel know this. They've seen it for themselves because many times in the past, God has done this exact thing for them. They've been in distress. They've been threatened with destruction. They've called out to God and God has saved them. And it's not just the nation that knows this. David personally knows this, right? He's been in this situation a dozen times. How many times did God save him from Saul? So we see that God is a dependably gracious king. David knows it as well. And and he's not just a king who saves, but a king that you can know. He's not just a distant ruler. He's near, in verse 18. He is near to all who call on him. He's like a friend, one who will stick by you when you're in a mess. You know that you can go to them anytime, and they'll be there for you. Only this friend also happens to be a good, generous and glorious king. So not only can Israel trust that he's going to be there when, he call, when they call on him, but they know that, well, he's promised them that when they call on him in truth, he will save and protect them. I guess it's a little bit like a father again. So it brings to mind something that Hannah's told me before about her dad. Her dad told her when she was a teenager that if anything ever came up where she was in a situation, say at a party, and felt really uncomfortable, uh, wanted her dad to come and, I don't know, kind of rescue her as such, take her away from the party, that he would come. He would come in a moment if she called. Um, And she did a couple of times. 
And that's kind of a little glimpse of what God, our King, is like. God, the King of Israel. He's always near and he will act in a heartbeat to save his people when they call on him. God is a dependably gracious king. So we've worked through the psalm. We've seen that God is abundantly good. He's brilliantly glorious. He's compassionately generous. And he's dependably gracious. But what do we do with all this? Where does that leave us? Well, the psalm makes it pretty clear. Verse 21, praise God. Because if that's what God is like, if this is who he is, then he is worthy of praise. The right response is to stand in amazement at this God. So, that's what David does. You can see it in the psalm. He's personally praising God. In verse 1, I will exalt you. I will praise your name. Verse 2, every day I'll praise you. Verse 6, I will proclaim your great deeds. And verse 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. He speaks, he sings, he tells of how great God is. In fact, that's what he's been doing in this psalm. That's why he's been telling us that this is what God is like. But it doesn't just stop at David. All God's faithful people, David's entire generation, turn to praise God their king. But you'll notice that even that's not enough. Even that's not enough for David because when you consider how great God is, then nothing less than all creation praising God will do. And notice how often all is used in the psalm. In verse 9, God is good to all. He has compassion on all. In verse 10, all God's works praise him. Verse 14, God lifts up all who fall and all who are bowed. The eyes of all look to God for food. And we're only halfway through the psalm. It goes on. You can go through and tally it up if you want later on. No wonder all creation is called to worship God in verse 21. Because every living creature benefits from God's incredibly good, gracious and powerful rule. And all has got to include us, right? How incredible is this God who rules? He deserves our praise. But it still feels distant. It's great that God rescued Israel from Egypt. It's great that he rescued David. But how do we know what God is like? Where can we look to see God acting as this incredible king? The New Testament tells us. It tells us to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God come to earth as man. Jesus is this perfect picture of what God is like. Jesus is this king. Uh, so we're just going to pick up one story and notice that Jesus is acting in that story in the same way that God the Father is portrayed in this psalm. So let's flip over to John 11 verse 32 uh, and we'll have a read. So some of you will be familiar with this story. Uh, it's when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, John 11 verse 32. Give you a moment to find it. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's an incredible story, right? An incredible story that captures just a snapshot of what Jesus is like. And in that little snapshot, we see the same characteristics in Jesus that we saw of God in Psalm 145. Jesus is the abundantly good king. He's weeping with his friends. He cares that they hurt. He grieves and he has compassion for them. But he doesn't just grieve helplessly because he has the power to act. You see, he's also the brilliantly glorious king. When he speaks, not even death can stand against his word. He has authority, even over life and death. And he's compassionately generous. He raises up Lazarus, who's been brought low in death. He provides life in a fuller sense than just providing food. He provides literal life to a dead man. He's a gracious saviour and friend. And we see that he is dependably gracious. There's a reason that his friends call on him when they know that Lazarus is sick. They trust Jesus. They know that Jesus cares, that he listens, that he has compassion. And Jesus does come. He does have compassion. And he comes and he saves Lazarus. He brings him back to life. Jesus is the incredible king described in Psalm 145. He's powerful, compassionate, good, generous, and caring. He's just like the Father in every way. He's worthy of praise. But as amazing as that is to see in Jesus' life, there's a place where it's even more amazing, and we can see it even more clearly, and that's in his death and resurrection. Because as Jesus willingly goes to his death, we witness his incredible goodness and his compassion, he chooses to take the death that we deserve onto himself. And he came as a king who was not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in his death, Jesus provides for our ultimate need. His death brings us life. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And his death brings us into relationship with God, Because of what he's done, he now calls us friends. In fact, he's made us his brothers. 
We can call on him. In fact, we can call on him and know that he will gladly rescue us from sin and from death. And we can know that because he's already acted. He's already acted to save us from sin and death in his death and resurrection. And finally, his death and resurrection show that he has authority over all. He triumphs over sin at the cross. He crushes death at his resurrection when he rises to life again. Nothing and no one can stand against God, stand against Jesus. He is the ultimate, risen, ruling and conquering king. So how do we respond to all this? I think similar to David, by praising him. But how? How do we use what we've looked at to help us, say when we come to our next song, not to re-enter teleprompt mode? Well, I think there are three ways, three practical things that the psalm has given that can help us. Firstly, remember, all of the praise you'll notice in Psalm 145 is drawn from who God is, seen in what he has done, seen in what he has revealed about himself. And David tells us himself that he is about to meditate on God's works. And so we can start the same way. Think back to Jesus and what he has done. Chew it over. Think about it. Consider it. Consider who he is and meditate on it. If you don't know much about Jesus, then how about you go and read the Gospels? Find out what this incredible king is like for yourself. And we've seen a little snapshot just tonight. He's good, he's gracious, he's generous and he's glorious. He shows compassion. We can know him. We can call on him. We can trust him. He listens to us. He saves us. So remember Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done for you. And so secondly, let's sing. We can joyfully sing about what Jesus has done for us. We've been doing that tonight. It's how all creation should respond to seeing God. And so I think it's the natural response to seeing Jesus and who he is. And I find there's a bit of a cycle that happens when you sing. When you sing, you're reminded of how great God is and you want to sing. And then you sing and you're reminded and you get into this cycle that happens. But the thing about a cycle is that it's got to start somewhere, right? And so start by singing. One of the things that I've been trying recently is building up a bit of a a portfolio of songs which I've got the lyrics for and I'll sing a song before I get into my work for the day. Um, I'm generally working at home so that works for me, might not work so well for people who are working in an office or something like that but uh, give it a go. Try singing a song of praise before you get into your day. You'll be amazed at how it sets your mind in the right mindset. Uh, If you don't know many praise songs, one of the things that you can do is um, print out song lyrics and stick them on your shower glass. And then you've got the shower lyrics right there. And uh, when you're in that acoustic chamber, you can let it loose. (laughs) So you can get into it. You can really get into it. Because who Jesus is and what he has done is worth singing about. And the final thing is speak. Tell others. So you'll notice that part of the purpose in the psalm for speaking was so that people might know God's mighty works, his acts. And how much more for us, what God has done 
through Jesus is incredible. Who Jesus is is incredible. So how about we tell others? Uh, In Bible college, I get to look at the Bible a lot. I get to look at Jesus a lot. But I find that a lot of the time, it doesn't really hit home to my heart. But one of the things in the week that really does is occasionally during a lunch break, I'll grab one of the other guys from the college, we'll go out into Leaderville, and we'll talk to people about Jesus. And you would not believe it is the highlight of the week. We come back and we're buzzing because we've been telling people about how great Jesus is. Can I recommend you give it a shot? Ask your friend whether or not they would love to read the Gospel of Luke with you, for example, and see for themselves, excuse me, See for themselves this king that you love and you serve. Give it a try. Tell others. So let's remember Jesus. Let's sing joyfully about him. And let's speak to others about our amazing, incredible and glorious king. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for showing us yourself. Uh, in this psalm, and particularly in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to praise you uh, in truth as we see you clearly. Please help us to ponder on Jesus, to really be struck by how incredible he is, to tell others and to sing with joyfulness and with thanks. Amen.